15 seconds. Amen. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. Um, if we haven't met yet, my name is Sterling, and I'm so grateful that you have joined us here today. Uh, if you are new with us, uh, I want to take uh, just a moment to invite you, following the service, to swing by our welcome desk. We would love to just share a little bit about the church or ways to get connected and things that are happening right now uh, that we would love to invite you to. We'd also love to get to know you just a little bit as well and, and put a face with a name. So if you have a moment, uh, swing by there after the service. There are a couple things that I want to highlight this morning that are happening uh, coming up here in the next few weeks. Uh, we've been talking about this since uh, the beginning of January, but next Saturday, our Alpha Series starts here on Saturday morning, 9.30 to 11.30. Uh, if you're not familiar with Alpha, Alpha is a, a ministry, a, a gathering that is designed to be kind of an open forum for you to bring honest questions about life and about faith. What is it that we believe as, as followers of Jesus? If you've ever had that kind of thought running through your head, like I've got this question, but is it, is it safe for me to ask it? Uh, Alpha is designed to be a place where it's safe for you to, to ask it. And so um, if one, if you're here and you're processing some of those questions, Alpha is a great opportunity to get uh, plugged in and to bring those. Two, if you have somebody in your life that is processing those questions, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, whatever it is, invite them. Uh, invite them to join us to bring it. It really is intended to be a, a place where uh, they don't feel judged, um, where we can table these questions honestly and, and, and again, um, look at how Jesus answers those questions. And so we're excited for that. We'd love to have you meet. I, these are kind of scattered throughout the lobby. It shares a little bit more information um, and, and where to go to register for Alpha, but we would love to have you involved uh, in that. We're excited for that to begin next Saturday on the 27th. Just a reminder, we have uh, our lunch uh, prayer hour here uh, on Tuesday. Um, uh, the Mill Creek campus has had a go of it here because the first Tuesday was like a snowstorm during the hour of, of uh, noon that day. And last week it was negative 35 and the campuses were closed. So we have, we have full confidence this Tuesday we are going to be open and, and we don't want to invite you to pray. If Tuesday's, Tuesday does not work for you, our other campuses, you'll see the schedule here behind me. You're welcome to attend any or all of those. We'd love to have you. As we've been focusing on prayer in January, uh, that invitation is, is available to all to come and pray with us. And then lastly, if you've been around Mill Creek for a while, uh, you know that one of the things that we love here is food. Um, and we love to eat together. And a lot of times during this time of year, we'll try to plan a connection lunch, which means after the service, we just we move all the chairs aside. We just hang out and eat together. But right now at the Mill Creek campus, there is a marriage seminar that's taking place. And so that happens right in the afternoon. So instead of that, on February 4th, we're gonna just buy a bunch of donuts, come to the service that you normally attend a few minutes early, stay between, stay after, whatever. 
Um, and, and we're just gonna, again, create opportunities to connect, to get to know each other a little bit and, and uh, sharing something delicious together. So mark that down uh, as well. We're looking forward to that. Would you pray with me? And, and we'll continue to worship together. Jesus, I, we do recognize, um, Lord, your presence here with us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would continue to speak and move in our midst. We lay all these things that, that we're planning and excited about, Lord, we lay them before you because we know that at our core, Lord, we need you. We need you to work and move in our midst. We need you to bring new life and to build your kingdom. And so God, in the midst of that awareness, Lord, would you meet us in this place? And we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Let's pray together and we'll open up God's word. Gracious Father, we do just uh, thank you that you are in our midst and that you speak. And Lord, as we come in to hear from you, Lord, uh, we thank you that you are the God who, um, who is exactly what we need. We pray that you would meet us in your word today. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I uh, have mentioned this before, but when I was in high school, um, I was a part of our high school basketball team. Um, and when I say a part of our high school basketball team, I mean on the team. Um, but I didn't play in, in games per se, right? Like um, I was good enough to, to be on the team, not, not really somebody that got a lot of uh, uh, time on the court when it counted, but that's okay. I passed a lot of cups of water down to the guys that, that were playing and uh, but I would obviously be a full participant in all the practices and, and everything that came with that. And uh, part of our routine during our basketball practices is that we would spend what's felt to me to be like countless hours practicing and running through our offense together. Like literally what felt like thousands of times. And it was after you ran it a thousand times together in practice that you just started to get it right. And you would hear your coach say something like, that's perfect. That's exactly what I want to see. Now do it again. Like once you had done it right, like that was only just the beginning. Like then you ran it a thousand more times because of the desire, the hope was that this would become so ingrained in you that you would be able to apply it on the court without even having to really think about it, that it would almost become instinctive in you. And, and that phrase, like, I, I, I wanna see more of that, you'd hear that echo in the coaches, when you got it right, let's do that again. We've been studying Paul's prayers, and you may have noticed in Paul's prayers for the church, there's a phrase that he oftentimes repeats uh, it's oftentimes at the very beginning of his prayer, he'll say something to the effect of like, for this reason, meaning that he's connecting what he's about to pray for the church to what he has just said or written to them about how God is working in their midst and, and the, trans the transformation that he's seeing take place 
among them, and he's looking at what God is doing, and he's saying, I want to see more of that. God, what you have done in, amongst the people, would you continue to do that? And it's oftentimes Paul expresses this and, and, uh, with words of thanksgiving. He's thanking God for what he's seen unfold in the life of the church. The prayer that we're going to look at today, a prayer that is for a, a group of Jesus followers living in a city called Colossae, uh, which is about 120 miles east of Ephesus, which is the city where uh, the last letter that we studied, those two prayers, it was written to that group of people there. It, it begins in much this same way, where Paul expresses his thanksgiving, and then it connects to what he wants to pray for the church. In fact, let's start with that this morning. I want us to read how Paul begins before he launches into his prayer. This is in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. So you can flip over there. We're going we're gonna to primarily be hanging out here this morning. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You've already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and he has told us about your love in the spirit. And then Paul begins to pray in verse nine and he says, and for this reason, Right? Paul's celebrating the, the work of, of God and of the gospel that has taken place in this city. Which I think Paul is, is particularly excited about because unlike Ephesus, Paul ha does not know the Colossians. He, he's never been to this city. In fact, most, uh, most people believe that Epaphras, who he references here, uh, heard the gospel in Ephesus, had traveled there, was discipled by Paul, part of that church, and then moved back to his hometown of Colossae, and in did so, he began to share the message of Jesus, the, the new life that is available in him, and, and people began to respond to the gospel. There's a church that's planted there, so Paul's writing to them as kind of like um, spiritual grandkids in a way. Like this is second generation. This is the hope of what Paul had desired when he set out to share the gospel with, with the Gentiles. And now the story of Jesus has taken root there. There's this community of believers that are being transformed by the truth of the gospel. And Paul begins by just thanking God for the work that he's done. And as he begins to pray, he's saying, Lord, would you, would you do more of that? I'm praying for more of this. What you have done in their midst, Jesus, would you do more of that? The gospel that has transformed them, that which he says is bearing fruit and it's growing all over the world. Jesus, I'm praying, would you continue to do that in your church? And he says, for this reason, and he begins to pray. One more just quick note on context here. 
You might remember this because last spring we studied Colossians together and, and went through this letter as a church. And you might remember that, that Paul is addressing here, he's aware of and addressing some of the challenges that the church in Colossians is, is facing. Um, particularly this, this idea or a philosophy that in a variety of different ways is suggesting that faith alone in Jesus is not uh, sufficient, that there's something that you lack, this deeper understanding, this deeper meaning that you still need. And so this, this letter of all of Paul's letters is, is perhaps the most singularly focused, like pointed in one direction. He continually comes back to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And he says, he, it's, it's all about him. And so I think you'll hear that in, in this prayer as well. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. So now Paul begins to pray in verse nine. And this is his prayer for the church. And as we have in each week, I want us to hear this, to receive this prayer being prayed over us as, as followers of Jesus. Verse nine, for this reason also, since, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious mind, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Here Paul, as, as he uh, begins to pray for the Colossian church, he, he grounds it in a central petition, a central ask that he makes and then following that, there's just this, these subsequent results that emerge from it. And so that, that's what I want us to look at. I want us to look at the request that he begins with and then to talk about the purpose for which he asks of this request and then the outcomes that he sees out of that, that purpose. If you notice, it begins with, in verse nine, when we start with the request, he says this, he says, we're asking, halfway through the verse, we're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So what he is asking of God, the request that he brings to him is this, this knowledge, this understanding of his will in your life. That is the central petition that he makes to, to God on our behalf. I don't know if you've ever had one of those experiences where you've been with a group of friends or people and you had this kind of uh, awareness that they all know something that, that you lack, and you're kind of like, what am, I, what am I missing here, right? When I was a student ministry pastor, this is years ago, uh, my friend Paige Peltier, who works here at Chapel Street, some of you know her, um, was one of my volunteer leaders on a, on a fall retreat that we were doing. And unbeknownst to Paige, uh, her now husband, um, boyfriend at the time said, called me and said, hey, I would like to surprise Paige at, at the retreat and propose to her. Um, so I was, I was let in on the secret, right? And I didn't tell anybody else. We made all these plans, we're texting, I got everything right. So Saturday night came, 
Uh, ben was uh, off on kind of this like low-lit gazebo romantic kind of setting. And, and, um, and so I uh, manufactured a reason for Paige to kind of head that direction in, in the camp. I created, you know, I lied uh, profusely. And, <laughs> and, um, and, and, and uh, but Allie was there on the retreat with me. And she kept being like, well, I'll go, I can go do that. And I'm like, no, Allie, I don't want you to go do that. Like, so, but unbeknownst to me, as Paige goes, she grabs Allie and, and takes her with. So the two of them are getting there and they're walking up this path. And then Allie sort of sees Ben with like these flowers surrounding him and this little gazebo. And she's like, I should not be here right now, right? And, and she turns around and goes running, lets them have their moment. As soon as she walks in the chapel where I was, I just heard her yell, Sterling Moore, like, you like, how could you not fill me in on what's going on? See, Paul here is, is he's praying for the Colossian church. He, this false teaching that he exists here that tells him you are lacking something. There's, there's some part of God's a deeper meaning, this deeper understanding, this unveiling of the mysterious plan of God that really is only obtained, this, this false teaching would say, by the, the, the spiritual elite. Like you, you really have to be desirable by God if he's going to unveil this to you. And Paul, in his prayer, counteracts that by constantly bringing them, pointing them back to Jesus and what has been made known in Jesus. God has already revealed specifically and poignantly exactly what his plan is in the person of Jesus. And this is Paul's prayer for the church that, that, that we would know, that we would, and I think this, these are intentional, that we would be filled with that which Jesus has already embodied, that which Jesus taught to his disciples when, when he was teaching them the way of his kingdom, that which Jesus left with his disciples to do when he ascended into heaven. Paul's point is this has already been made known to you. In fact, he elaborates on this just a few verses later. Flip down to verse 19 of chapter 1. He gives this soaring description of Jesus. And in the middle of this, in verse 19, he says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions. But now he's reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. This is, this is God's will. This is his revealed will. We, we mentioned this, and you again, you might remember this when we were studying the book of James together, because oftentimes when we talk about God's will, we, we have a very specific idea in mind. And James uses that phrase when he's talking also about prayer and, and how we plan our lives. And, and we should say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that thing. When James and Paul use that description of that phrase, the will of God, um, th they're not talking about a specific question or circumstance that, that we might have in our lives regarding our vocation or uh, where I should go to school or 
or even necessarily what relationship I should pursue. We, we can and are taught to apply wisdom to all of those choices. But when Paul uses this phrase of his will, he's specifically re, uh, referring to God's redemptive, grand redemptive narrative. The grand redemptive plan that he's had since the beginning of time to undo the curse that humanity has experienced from, from the entrance of sin all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. To restore his created world, to, to uh, lead us to a new heaven and a new earth. You might remember in, in the book of Romans, the letter of Romans, when Paul writes to the Christians there, he again talks about his will. And in chapter 12, verse 2, he says this, he says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is his good, pleasing, and per- what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So Paul's prayer, his ask and, and to the Romans, right, is not that something unknown would be made known to you, but rather as our, our minds are transformed, as they're shaped by God, that we would be able to discern, perceive how his will is, is unfolding around us to participate in it. It's not the revealing of something new that has been, uh, not yet been made known. It's our way of, when he transforms our way of thinking, that we would be shaped by his kingdom and by the truth of the gospel, that we would personally and experientially know that his ways are best. To the church in Thessalonium, uh, Thessalonica, he, he says it, I think, most succinctly and, and poignantly. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in the third verse there, he simply says this. He says, for this is God's will, which I do love directness, right? Like, just, just tell me what it is. He says, it's your sanctification. That's what God's will is for your life. That word sanctification, if you're not familiar with that, that's, it's a word that we use to describe the, the work of God in our lives to shape us and form us into the image of Jesus. Paul counters this, this false teaching that the Colossians are hearing, this idea of this, this deeper understanding that remains hidden from them, this mysterious feeling, uh, filling that they've yet to obtain. And Paul says, no, that's not what you lack. And so I, I just want you to be filled with, I want you to live in constant awareness of the will of God, which has been made known and revealed to you in the person of Jesus. It's interesting, and, and maybe you're experiencing this, but I can't help but notice recently how much of, marketing and and like my uh, YouTube algorithm thread, whatever is coming my way, oftentimes what what gets worded or kind of sold to me is that this program, this diet, this workout thing, this is going to unlock for you the thing that you lack, like the best version of you. If you pay $19.95 a month to be a part of this program, right, we will we will give you the thing that you're missing. And certainly different than what the Colossians queer, but not altogether different. Because we're all being sold something. But notice that Paul then, he elaborates on this, on this request that he makes here. He says, filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom 
and spiritual understanding. So this, this knowledge that Paul desires for the church on behalf of the Colossian Christians here, this wisdom and spiritual understanding convey the, the ability to discern that which is true and then to act on it, to make good decisions based out of that truth. Again, I, I feel as if we cannot help but recognize the immediate relevance that this has in, in our own culture, in our own world, and certainly for us in, in the church today. There are a lot of things vying for our attention. There are a lot of alternative agendas that promise meaning and proclaim hope. If only we would give them our allegiance. If, if only we would pursue them with everything that we have. But what Paul prays is that we would have this deep, abiding understanding of the will of God that's been made known in the person of Jesus. And that we would, because of that process, live out of, think about what that means for his church. What that means for our families. What does that mean in our communities? What does that mean ultimately in our world? This is Paul's request for the body of Christ. Which then he begins to go on from there and he describes the purpose that he sees emanating from this knowledge of of the will of God. Look at the purpose here in in verses uh, 10 and 11. So he prays that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. This is what Paul envisions and desires to be the result of being filled with the knowledge of his will, that we would walk in a manner worthy of, of the Lord. I mentioned this a, a couple of weeks ago when I was teaching um, team on Friday morning, the, the men's ministry. But there is this, um, I think, narrative that exists in our culture that I feel at times when I, I, I look around uh, everything that's being sold to me, this idea of, of like the ideal man. Where especially in January, when everybody wants you to sign up for a gym membership and, and whatever else, that there's all these um, goals that are put in front of you and that the, the ideal man, is, is he has goals as it relates to his career and growing in that, and he has goals as it relates to uh, personal and physical health, and you're growing in that, and goals as it relates to like uh, diet, and, and, and there's a plan for that, and, and goals you should have like, you should be well-read as this ideal man, and you should have hobbies outside of your career that you're spending money on and investing in, and, and, and you need to invest in relationships both inside the home and outside the home. So make time to, to be with your friends and make time to be with your family. And, and when you look at that comprehensively, if you're anything like me and you see all of that, you immediately feel this sense like, I, am, I cannot meet that standard. And so when all of those things are in front of you, oftentimes it becomes so overwhelming that you don't do anything. And for many of us, when we hear a phrase like walking worthy of the Lord, we, we have that same reaction, that sense of like, that's intimidating, right? This is the, the Billy Grahams of the world, the, the, the Mother Teresas, 
the Eric Elfmans of the world, right? The people who get it and you think to ourselves, and it, it goes on to here, notice that he says not only uh, that we would walk worthy of the Lord, that we'd be fully pleasing to him. Who, who achieves this? Right? It's easy for this language here to throw us off. At least it is for me. But what Paul envisions for the follower of Jesus, who is filled with the knowledge of his will, is not a perfect life. And it's not a sinless life. Paul, Paul in other letters, is, is openly writes about his own struggles and, and his failures. But it is a different life. It is a different set of priorities. It's a life that has adopted the agenda of Jesus and made it our own agenda. Douglas Moo, in his commentary on the letter to, to the Colossians, he says there's this hint of this, and the way he's describing this new life and the depiction that follows, he describes it as bearing fruit. Did you notice this? In every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, Moo sees this as this intentional kind of echoes back to the creation story that's ultimately pointing to his intent that he has made known in Jesus, and that is the restoration of what he originally created. That he has this future vision in sight that shapes and forms our immediate and lived purpose. The direction of our, our, our lives to join him in his work. If you've been around uh, Chapel Street very long, you may have heard us talk about this or describe this as, as living in the way of Jesus, adopting Jesus' taught way to exist in our world, to relationally interact with each other, and to pursue God as a, a way that we make our own. Paul describes it as a walk worthy of the Lord. He means it's adopting his kingdom vision, this kingdom agenda, as our own, because we recognize him and acknowledge him to be authoritative over our lives, that when we use that word Lord, right, it's saying I want his way to be my way. I want to do life in the way that he taught me. So again, think about this for a moment. I think it's worthy of, of pausing to asking ourselves the question, what are the implications of that? In other words, how does the way of Jesus shape the way that I, I talk about or I think about the people around me? How does that shape the interactions that, that you and I have, whether I'm with you or I'm not with you? How does the way of Jesus shape the way I think about or interact with my stuff or my money? How, I, what has authority over me? What is the way of Jesus? How does it form and shape the way I think of my, my time or my energy and where that's going, how does it affect my relationships with my neighbors? I mean, we could apply this in every area of life, which is exactly what Paul hopes that we would do. Paul envisions us applying the way of Jesus and his purpose over all of our lives. The expectation, the assumption is not that you would live a perfect life. That's not what Paul's describing in when he describes walking worthy of the Lord. He's describing a qualitatively different life. 
a life that has exchanged the values of this world and, and the kingdom of this world for something greater. And he gives this qualifier here at the end of, of, of verse 11 or in the middle of it. He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Which again, we've, we've recognized this in every prayer, prayer that Paul prays. Woo, that was every prayer Paul prays Peter picked a pick, uh, is that he, he sources the ability to, for this to be realized, not in our own capacity, not in like if you and I grit our teeth hard enough and, and we're dedicated enough. He, he cites it in the glorious might of our God, that he is able to do this. It's his work, his unfolding in our lives. And then notice then after this, he, there's one more so that. And this brings us to the result of the outcomes that Paul desires for the church. Again, he says, I'm praying this because it will do this, because I desire for this to happen. Kind of continuing in that same theme of, of New Year's resolutions and all that sort of stuff. My experience with, with making change in my life, if you're anything like me, is that the success of that is largely dependent on how uh, motivated or what my motivation is. Meaning that if, if I come into January and I was like, I could stand to lose a couple pounds or I want these, this pair of pants to fit me better or whatever it is, like that motivation, right, is, is only so powerful in our lives. And, and we might be dedicated to that a couple weeks, we might make some better choices, but, it, but at least my own story is that only goes so far, right? But if I go to the doctor and the doctor does my blood work and he's looking at my cholesterol or he's looking at whatever markers and he's saying, look, there's Sterling, there's some things that, that we have here that I'm seeing here that concern me. That's a different degree of motivation, right? And out of that, my commitment and my dedication to making change in my life becomes different. And as Paul's praying this prayer, again, he's rooting it back to, to verses one through eight, where he's thanking God for what has already taken place and, and what he desires to see more of, Lord, because it's, it's essentially the essence of the work of the gospel among them. And this is what he desires for his people. So he continues on now in verse 11. He, he said, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. And so essentially saying, he's praying, I, I want this work that has begun in you, I want to see it carried out. I want to see it continue on, that you would have endurance and patience. Paul describes this, this type of spiritual stamina that, that remains committed even in the midst of challenging circumstances or surrounded by challenging people that this is the outcome of, of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Some have suggested that, that patience and endurance apply to circumstances that are difficult. And if for the early church, oftentimes those, those circumstances were immediate persecution. It was very real consequences as a result of your faith in Jesus. 
and so circumstances, but also then people that required a, a long-suffering relationship. N.T. Wright, uh, who's a, a pastor and theologian, says this. He says, endurance is what faith, hope, and love bring to an apparently impossible situation. Patience is what they show to an apparently impossible person. These, these are the outcomes that Paul sees as we adopt the way of Jesus into our lives so that we will continue on in this for the long haul. And it's marked by joy, he notes. And Paul prays that in the life of the Colossian Christian and in our lives as well, that this would be the fruit, the outcome of being filled with the knowledge of his will so that we adopt his way of life into our way so that we will endure, continue on in this mission with endurance and with patience. It's worth noting here that Paul's writing this letter from a Roman prison with the knowledge that that his faith in Jesus and his conviction that, that God has called him to preach the gospel, to proclaim the good news of Jesus anywhere that God has put him. And it's that faith and that conviction that that Paul is aware of could very likely cost him his, his life. But for Paul, that encounter that he had with the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus is his knowledge of, of the height and the depth and the length and the width of God's love that we talked about last week. That that was so transformative that the agenda of Paul's life has now been enveloped in and become synonymous with the purpose and the life of Jesus. The same Jesus who the author of Hebrews says it was the joy set before him that he endured the cross, despising its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He said, because what Jesus has done for me Out of that, right, Paul's praying that you and I would be filled with the knowledge of his will. And because we are filled with the knowledge of his will, that that would enable us, that we would, as a result, walk in a manner worthy of him. And as we walk in a manner worthy of him, that we would have endurance and patience to see this kingdom purpose continue to advance, even when it feels like it's going backwards or that we're treading water joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Eugene Peterson, um, in his book on discipleship, he describes this as a long obedience in the same direction. And this is, this is Paul's prayer for the church. And look how he concludes this here, verse 13 and 14. Because this is the truth that, that all of this is, is embedded in. He said, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Let's pray together. Jesus, we do just thank you for this time um, to hear again and to receive this, this prayer that Paul prays over the church and to receive it as a prayer prayed over us. Lord, that the, the, your will, your plan has been put on display and made evident in the person of Jesus. Paul prays that we'd be filled with that knowledge. 
And because we're filled with that knowledge that we would walk in accordance with, in alignment with your kingdom purposes and, and that which you are unfolding in our world. And as we walk in that way, that we would do so with patience and endurance, a, a long obedience, Lord. God, do this in your church for your sake and for your glory. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I, I think that the lyrics of that song um, provide for us a perfect response into Paul's prayer um, for the church in, in Colossae, but also for the church in Mill Creek. Um, that, that he is our firm foundation. If we can pray with you this morning, um, we have a prayer team available. It's a privilege to do that, whether we're praising God for something he's done in your life or bringing a concern to him. Um, please know you can come and, and we'd love to pray with you and for you. Um, our generosity boxes are by our, our two side doors. Thank you so much. Um, your continued generosity here um, not only makes an impact in these walls, but it's making an impact uh, in our community and, and far outside of our walls. And we're so grateful for the ways you participate in this work with us. Um, grab one of these alpha things on your way out. We're, we're praying that God is really going to do a good work and in, in inviting people to come and know him. And now receive this morning's benediction. Go in the name of Jesus, who has been the perfect display of your will for the world. You are doing a new work to build your kingdom and ultimately leading us to a new heaven and new earth. Lord, envelop us in that. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen.